Once again, thank you, Pastor. Uh, there is a handout for today if some of you did not receive it. When you want to raise your hand, and I've asked Sam, is, where'd Sam go? I gave Sam to pass them out, and apparently, there you are. I thought, this can't be the rapture. You gone and us here? No, <laughs> no way. <laughs> Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Now, if you already received a copy, because Drew is passing them out, maybe you've already took a look at it. But that's for the addendum time, so if you want to set that down, we're going to get that eventually sometime later this afternoon. Uh, Also, by chance, if you were here not weak, this uh, map of Midtown Manhattan that I passed out last week, if you did not get this, you'd like to have this. This is where we actually, in these two right columns, what we had said from the beginning is that the two contesting theological schools of Calvinism and Arminianism, they had to meet somewhere. Not because it's Calvinism and Arminianism, because it's Scripture. That's our sole authority, the Bible. So you have God coming and regenerating, making us spiritually alive where you are dead in our trespasses and sin, and then the demand that we respond to him. And when we are regenerated, we're born again, and now finally we see the reality and we do repent. We do receive Jesus Christ. We do become righteous, and we reside in Christ which is, our, which is our righteousness. And so that was last week. So today we're going to be moving on, and I do have a request once again, uh, due to the nature of the topic and this being the last week, uh, if you have a question or something, please keep it in mind. We'll get to that, but I'd kind of like to establish kind of a flow here. And so this is the last week, and I don't know if you have that initial handout or not, but the title for this last week is the God who disciplines and destroys. Now, if you want to keep any kind of notes, that's up to you. But once again, it's entitled, The God Who Disciplines and Destroys. And with that, would you please be turning to Psalm 119. And I would, once again, I've said it, and I want to say it again. I thank the Lord God for allowing me to be able to teach His Word. I thank Pastor for allowing me the opportunity to teach a class here. He's very generous with time, and uh, I really appreciate it. Psalm 119, and go to verse 65. This first one we're looking at is, when his own disobey. When we who know Jesus Christ, and we yet sin and disobey as believers, then God does a wonderful thing for us. He disciplines us. We looked last week when we were talking about Father's Day, but let's go back there again. Like I said, let's go uh, in a minute. Right now we're going to go to Psalm 119. And let's look at verse 65. I want to read into your hearing verse 65 and uh, through 67, then I'll go over to 71. This is the idea about God does with his children the loving thing. He disciplines us. Verse 67 Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept thy word. Thou art good and doest good, teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. Look at verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. Thy hands have made me and fashioned me. 
Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. And then verse 75, in conclusion, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness has afflicted me. Now, let's go over to Hebrews chapter 12. Pastor has said, as a son with a physical father, that sometimes your dad would have to discipline you and kind of get your attention. And, and, uh, and again, spare the rod to spank someone, to give them a swat. We've got a liberal world that out there that says, well, we don't abuse. You abuse your children if you would not give them the swat. You abuse your children if you do not uh, spare the rod. Well, don't spare the rod. It's amazing to me that there's these people out there that they just know they're a lot smarter than God. Professing them to be, uh, become wise, they became? Absolutely. So, honestly now, I, with Pastor, I, I, I hope it did some good. Did it, I mean, did it accomplish anything? Did it? Oh. <laughs> oh, yes, it did, he said. There you go. All right. All right. Now, I ask you to turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Once again, showing you that I cannot do two things at once. Uh, verse 5, chapter 12. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son despise now, not thou, the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Going down uh, verse 10, For they verily for a few days chastened after us their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, here's the truth. Verse 11, we conclude this verse here. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. I've said it before. This was before about me. Uh, there was a time maybe this was considered sort of like, I don't know, theoretical or an idea. But there was a time in my life when this passage became very real to me. Because God said basically, Earl, I love you enough that I'm not going to let you get away with this. And he took me to the woodshed. And he spanked me. And he disciplined me. And Lord God, I thank you for doing that. Because it told me that he loved me. So there you go. I don't know, for you folks, everyone has their own journey, everyone has their own story, but at times, when necessary, God will remind you that he loves you by disciplining you. And when that happens, it's probably, like I said, it won't be enjoyable at the time, but rejoice in it because it confirms that you belong to him. Uh, now, does anybody have anything, there's a flow there, but I will say, anybody want a quick comment on that before we move on? Yes, sir. The what? Yes, it, it, in the way it's used in society, 
yes, but in a technical sense, in there it is a it is a it would mean the same thing. It was one who would be in their lifestyle, the way they're living before the Lord. It would be like they they're not showing that they really belong. They're 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 wrong. There's something wrong about them. They're, it's an illegitimate witness and everything. So in that sense, but if you're if you truly are a son or a daughter of faith, then God shows you that you truly belong to him because he will spank you. Good question. Good point. Let's go to number two. Uh, that was he disciplines. Now, the God who disciplines and destroys. When the lost steadfastly disobey, disregard, and deny him, he destroys the motive for the Lord doing this, it's not joyous, doesn't enjoy doing that, but he loves that if the situation calls for it, that his holiness and his justice will be carried out, all right? Be not deceived, God is not what? Not mocked. There's a lot of people right now on planet Earth, some of them I think in politics, they're in power right now, and they think they're just getting away with all this stuff. <laughs> Nobody gets away with anything. You may not go to the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. They got things going on in Indianapolis this week. We don't know how that stuff's going to go. But I'll guarantee you, there's one judge you're going to stand for before. And if, you're, if you've never received Jesus Christ, it's going to be the great white throne. And if we're believers, we still go before the Bema seat. And the one who loved us and died for us will still yet... He will tell us and talk with us and remind us that there were things that we could have done we did not do and things we did do we should not have done. So there is it. But that's not to be destroyed. That's not to be destroyed. That's to be disciplined like we said before. Now, let's just go for a moment here. I'm going to go to passages real quick. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And as I'm turning there, now... I'm going to read the words. I mean, the words of the Bible are true. But I think you'll understand when I say to you, when God destroys you, he's actually just affirming that you destroyed yourself. Okay? Back in Genesis chapter 6, we have this situation where things on earth were very bad. And I'd like to begin reading here in uh, verses 1 through 7. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw their daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, 
and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Now, God destroyed the earth and all those people who were not believers, they died. But he destroyed them not just because he flipped a coin, but because they so richly deserved to be destroyed in their behavior towards God, in their debauchery and their wickedness. So, uh, go to Matthew 10, 28. Just one verse, but I'd like you to see it. This is a verse I've thought about, you know, who knows what the future holds in our society and our culture. There are people in places in the world right now. They live in areas in the world where the government is pagan. And someone today in the world, I don't know how many, but mark it down, someone in the world will day, today will be martyred because of their belief in Jesus Christ. That's happening right now. And yet in Matthew chapter 10, as I said, in verse 28, this one verse, Jesus is giving us vital information. Jesus speaking says this, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body or both soul and body in hell. No matter who the dictator is, no matter who the evil, whatever you want to call them, threaten you as a believer with death, torture and death, imprisonment, torture and death, whatever it is, in the end, now this is easy to say, but it's true, in the end it will have been worth it all. It will have been that. However, If you're an unbeliever and you take the mark and you give a little pinch of incense to Caesar and you bow the knee and you do what you have to do, you do what you have to do in order to say, I, 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 I'm doing this, I don't really want to, but if I don't, I, I could be arrested, I could, be, I could lose my life and I can't let that to happen, so I'll bow the knee, I'll go along, but you die without Christ. Is that worse than being martyred for Jesus Christ? As they say in Canada, oh, you betcha. Because now you go to the lake of fire for all eternity. One time there was a, uh, a Christian uh, speaker. I don't know if you heard about this tell you very quickly. He was speaking to a public group, and all of a sudden this strange gentleman that had come in looked kind of odd. All of a sudden he, he stood up, he pulled out a gun, and he aimed it at the speaker. And he says, I'm going to kill you. The speaker just kept on speaking to the group. Like he had no... Again, the man screamed a little louder, and he says, I'm telling you, listen, I'm going to shoot you and kill you right now. And the man stopped and looked up there, and he said, Sir, you cannot threaten me with heaven. (laughs) And so I guess, I don't know what happened after that, but it it just showed a, a world and life view of someone who really, really believes that uh, no matter what happens to us here, if we know Jesus Christ, uh, it'll be worth it all. I think there was, um, I think that's where we'll go with that one. You know, in Revelation chapter 20 is uh, the one, the departure. But again, why do all these people go to the white throne judgment? Why are they there in the first place? 
because they have steadily rejected and refused Jesus Christ. They have steadily kept on their way of wickedness and debauchery and, and sin. And so there you go. So that's my thought on those two areas. Didn't spend as much time on the God who disciplines and the God who destroys. What I want to spend time with, and I, and I want to preface it, let me see right here, is uh, for you to turn to Matthew chapter 20, please. Matthew chapter 20. In these previous weeks that I've been allowed to teach and talked about some of these topics and last week and everything, I have asked prayer because I knew some of the stuff that I was sharing. And I share it. I don't share with an attitude like, well, you better believe the way I do or you're wrong or something like that. No, 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 no. None of us is infallible. We all make mistakes. We can all misunderstand. I have shared what I've shared with you for this purpose. I've offered it for your consideration. I do think sometimes that there's... uh, what I'd like to share today is maybe there's a, maybe a new twist or a different way of approaching something that maybe we might say, hmm, didn't think about it that way before. That's, that's something for consideration. If that happens, I will be a happy guy. All right? So uh, on the addendum then, you notice that there were two things. The twins, fair and unfair. And the other one is called, uh, what is this about being a robot? You, robot. So first of all, I want to just give you a little story here, and I want to go slowly. I want you to think about this. The twins, fair and unfair, and you turn to Matthew chapter 20. There were these two identical twins. Couldn't tell them apart. Something else they had in common. They were both guilty of committing first-degree murder. And they had been gone to court they had been convicted and they'd been sentenced to death. And the morning of their execution, just around the last minute, the governor of the state shows up and he says, I have made a decision. I've decided that I'm going to pardon one of these identical twins and the other twin will be executed. And so that took place. And yet, because they were identical, it looked at, you couldn't tell one from the other after a while. The people there, they were saying, like, now, 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 now which, which one was executed and which one was not? It's, you know, they, and they, they just didn't know, but they got together, the crowd, and they said, well, you know what? Hey, hey, let's just use common sense here. Now, think about this. Which one of these two guys was guilty of first-degree murder? Both of them were. So they're, they're both guilty, right? Right. Okay, so... Here's what seems obvious to us, since both of them were guilty, then the one that was executed, that must have been unfair. Because the other one was pardoned, and he was guilty of the same crime. So the one who was executed, that must have been unfair. You know, the governor was standing there, and he said, excuse me, but he says, no, no, you have it wrong. He said, you're right on this. Both of these men were both guilty of first-degree murder, and both were scheduled to be executed. But the one that was executed, that was the twin fair, because in justice, he really received what he deserved. No, it's the other one, the one that received mercy, the one that was pardoned. That was the one that was unfair, 
because he deserved to be executed, but was instead mercifully set free. I've heard many people in talking about this conversation and about, you know, who goes to heaven and who goes to hell and what God, they always want to say that, uh, well, if there's a, a group of people, and here's the way it's kind of set up for them, which I want to challenge a little bit, but it's sort of like God's like saying, okay, here's all the people on planet Earth, uh, over here, that's, uh, yeah. you and you, and, yeah, you over there, uh, you're going to go to heaven. I'm sick. Okay. Ah, you? And, uh, yeah, you? And, oh, I saw somebody over here too. Over there. Yeah, you're the ones I'm going to send to hell. You see, if it's set up that way, if that's the way it's presented to us, that means God is just arbitrary. He's just, he's just choosing, like, well, too bad for you or something like that. And I can understand where people would say, yeah, that, that would be unfair. But beloved, my point is this morning where I'm sharing with you is that's not the way it happens. You have to remember that all the people of planet Earth right now, all 8 billion of us, how many of us are first degree murderers? Every single last one of us. Something I heard before it was a song, and mercifully I will not sing it to you, but, uh, oh gosh, people say, hey. But it goes a little something like this about which category are we in this morning. Who killed Jesus? That's what I want to know. Who killed Jesus so many years ago? I am the one to blame. I brought him pain and shame. It's my sin that crucified Jesus so many years ago. You see, you have to remember this, this, this setup when God arbitrarily is just looking at a group of people and picking some for hell and some for heaven. Every single last person is on their way to hell. It's not that they're just sort of like in a neutral zone and he's just, okay, some will go to heaven. No, every single last one of them. If God doesn't do anything, which as I've been trying to stress these last four weeks, if God doesn't call, if God doesn't choose, if God doesn't come to regenerate us, and he doesn't have to, but if he doesn't, there's no picking or choosing, we all go to hell. And may I also say this, God never has to send, now he'll tell them to depart, but the reason why they depart, he's just saying that's what you want. You don't want any part of me, so you can go now. So there's no such thing where God really sends a person to hell. I've got a, well, my wife's got the keys. I used an illustration one time. I had my, my keys. And I just said, you know, if I want these keys to touch the ceiling, I have to, I have to really throw them up there to go up. I've got to, I've got to intervene. I've got to do something. Because if I just let go of the keys, I don't get in their way. Do I have to take the keys and throw them as hard as I can so they hit the floor? Just stay out of the way, God. Those keys will get to that floor all by themselves. But if you want to go against the natural, the natural gravity of hell and the lake of fire, God must come and he must call and choose. Now, let me go on with this as we're going here. I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 20. And I would just ask if there's anybody in here, and again, we're all on the same team here, 
I don't know your background. I don't know what you've read or heard or something. But if you've heard this idea of the selecting and the choosing way it would make God unfair, in Matthew chapter 20, Derek, are you, are you, can you read for me here, buddy, this morning? You can't read? Okay. Okay, yeah. Matthew 20. I want everybody to listen loudly and slowly. Read Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16, with this question in mind. Who's the householder? Go ahead, and whenever you're ready, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Now, in this parable that Jesus is speaking about it, who's the owner? Who's the, the good man? Who owns the place? Who does that represent? God. And yet, these people in their natural thinking, it's obvious they said, hey, well, the, we got there at the beginning of the day. We agreed to him for this penny. But some other people showed up mid-morning, noon, and then, well, we get off at 5. Somebody, they, what? He's hiring people showing up at 4 o'clock? Did you hear what? He's going to give them a penny. Oh, good. If he's going to give them a penny, we worked overtime. We're going to get a lot more. But he doesn't. <sighs> that is so unfair. 
Did God in this parable that he just read present himself as being unfair? He did not. Now, God may not always pardon everybody. He may not show mercy to everyone. He may not set everybody free, but where in the Bible do we ever read that in the end God saves every single last person? We don't. Now, like Pastor has said many times in Deuteronomy 29, you can only go so far. Well, why does God say, I, I don't know. But what I can know, I can know, and that is this. Please listen. It is impossible for God to be unfair. Well, if God did this, that would be unfair. You better be careful what you're saying. I want to ask a question right now, and if you know it for sure, absolutely positive, if you know that you've trusted Jesus Christ, not by works of righteousness that you have done, but by washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, you know that heaven is your home. You know, you know that Jesus is your Savior. Savior. Would you raise your hand, please? Understand today, as we're saying this right now, God has been very unfair to you. Because he's been merciful. He's been gracious. He's given you a pardon. And he's not going to do that to everybody. So God has been very unfair to believers because he's, because he's been far more than fair to us. So we've got to get these words fair and unfair. I think that's why Matthew 20 is in there to hope, remind us as we read the scripture that we better be careful when we hear these, I don't know, artificially, you know, arbitrarily, there's just everybody on planet Earth and God, you know, selects some and, well, if God does that, then God's unfair. But that's, but you're, you're, you're calling God unfair based on a situation that does not even exist. So we got, we just have to be careful in that. Could any of us as unbelievers in our sin, would we have been able to forgive ourselves? Could we shower mercy upon ourselves? Could we pardon ourselves? Being spiritually dead, bestowed spiritual life upon ourselves? No, we do not have that power. We don't have that authority. As unbelievers, we don't even have that desire. So I'm just very thankful. I don't know all the, I don't know, and I probably never know all the reasons about God's calling and choosing, but I know one thing. I'm glad I'm one of those numbers. And I'll say to people who refused, and I'll get this, all the rest of the people, the majority, all those who refuse to repent, Scripture says they love the darkness rather than light. That's what the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit says these people love darkness rather than light, I'm not going to argue with it. They blaspheme his name, they ridicule the gospel, they reject Jesus Christ and repudiate the word of God. They don't care about saved and all this stuff. They do not. They, they ridicule us. But when they end up being late, or excuse me, lost, it's not because God failed them or was unfair to them. No, we could say this, that those who end up in the lake of fire, God was exactly fair to them, but nothing more. And it's not God's fault. You go around and talk to people. Share with people. Get, get around people. Do we really think that the people are lost are secretly saying, oh, I wish there was somehow I could get saved. I hate being evil, wicked, mean, and nasty. No, they're, they're very satisfied with being the person they are. 
All those who refuse to repent, all of this, it's God is absolutely fair to them. And that's about the twins, fair and unfair. You are the twin, unfair. Fair was executed, but the governor signed your release. Hope we never forget that. All right, now, the other one is about being a robot. I'm going to go through here. Uh, I just want to read this to you. Some of you have it, the thing, the handout for today. And again, I do not know your background. I do not know your teaching. If you disagree with some of the things I'm sharing, that is perfectly fine. Like I said, I am not infallible. If you think that, you know, check with my wife. She'll tell you. Okay. (laughs) I'll just read this real quickly here. Some have been told and taught that if God would call or choose someone, that would be God restricting someone, like a robot keeping them from their freedom to decide, or forcing them. Now, last week, if you were here, we we said this from 1 Corinthians 26. Well, in fact, God does call and choose people. Scripture records such in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-28. If you were here last week, I said, I think the problem is, it says in there that he calls and chooses people. John Calvin didn't write it. Arminius didn't write it. Pastor didn't write it. I didn't write it. Uh, Sam, when he, he, none of us wrote that. It was probably a guy by the name of Tertius, who was the amanuensis, the secretary for Paul, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that said to the Corinthian letter, God calls and chooses people. And if God says he's going to call and choose people, then I have to believe it. I think the problem with our different theological views and his people is we come to like, what does that mean? We know that it happens, but what does that mean? I would say very quickly that you, we, we do not know, but it's not arbitrary because within that passage, and we don't have the time to turn to it, but in there, here's what Paul writes by the power of the Holy Spirit. If we have any little insight, if God opens up a little door and says, here's a little idea of what goes on. I don't save many wise. I don't save many mighty or noble in the eyes of the world's. Because the vast majority of the people who are wise and mighty and noble in the ways of the world are arrogant and conceited. And they don't need God for anything. However, God says, if you're paying attention, I'm more prone, I'm more likely that I will call and choose those who are foolish, weak, and base, ignoble. The people that the world would say, who wants to be around them? They didn't make the cover of Time magazine. They didn't make the cover of People magazine. I wouldn't want to be around those people. And God says, I know. And that's the kind of people I will save. To confound the wisdom of the wise. To glorify myself. Because the people I save are going to understand that it's by grace and grace alone that they deserved to go to hell, that it was nothing they had done. So when they get to be with me forever and forever and forever, they're going to say on the world, if the world could have chosen who to save, they would have never chosen me. They would have said, don't want you. In the world of the national parks of the pretty people, of all the snow-peaked mountains, of the blue lakes and the roaring ocean waves and the beautiful pine trees in the national forest, God says, "Ah, I could choose some people. Nah, I don't think I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over here to a sanitary fill. (sighs) Stinks over here. 
this is where I'm going to call my people out of this. Because the world would say, that's the last. If I wanted to spend my vacation, where are you going to spend your vacation? Oh, we're going to take our camper and sit up down there by the sanitary fill. And we're going to make sure, we want to make sure the wind's coming our way so we can appreciate the warm breezes coming our way. No. Have you ever seen anybody set their camper up at a sanitary fill? No. But yet God came to the sanitary fill and he found us. So, just sharing this then, here is the point that I hope one to make you understand. When the Lord calls and chooses to regenerate a sinner, there is no way that that renders that person to being some sort of robot. When God calls and chooses a person, it's not to keep them from their freedom, it's to return them to their freedom. Last passage I want us to turn to is uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. Then I'll open it up. You remember a couple of weeks ago, Marty was here, and he read Romans 3, where it talks about there's none that, is, none that does good, went down through, and he says, no, not one. So we use that as the basis of saying that we're spiritually dead. And now in Ephesians chapter 2, I just want to deposit another thought on that. And that is this idea of when we're talking about calling and choosing. Go to, go to chapter 2 and verse 1. All right. You talk about calling and choosing. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses in sin. Now, we have said that there are people who have been taught or they believe, or I don't, I don't know if any of them are in this room, but people have been bothered with the idea of God calling and choosing and picking someone because they said, well, that, that seems like it's going to take that person's freedom away from them. And they won't be able to choose. They're going to be forced. They're going to be restricted. And I'm suggesting to you this morning, it is just the opposite. Verse 2, I'm reading here. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, talking about unbelievers, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as God." I would like to suggest to you that we do find robots. And everybody in this room, before we came to Jesus Christ, we were all robots. We were all sons and daughters of disobedience. We walked in accordance to, verse 2, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. So there's a choice. There really is a choice in this world. There's either saved people or lost people. There's no in-between. There's no straddling that fence. You are either you are either free in Jesus Christ or you're in bondage to Satan. Those, those are the only two options. Is anybody in here can quote, I, I, I think I read it here, John 8.32. Anybody know John 8.32 by heart? Ye shall know 
Yeah, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Jesus is the embodiment of the truth, is he not? He is the way, the truth, and the truth will set you free. I close it. It's only by God choosing to regenerate us. And then the ball goes to us. You say, well, don't we do anything? Oh, yeah. We talked about that last week. We are demanded to repent. We are demanded to receive him. And when we do that, we become righteous in Jesus Christ. But the point of it is, either way, we are either a servant of the Savior or a servant of Satan. We're either with one camp or the other. There are no other camps. And so again, I, just, I, I close with this. I'm just very, very grateful and thankful that God decided to be very unfair to me. And in the year 1975, month of April, April the 11th, God of all eternity came down to the sanitary fill, pinched his nose when he came to me and said, I'm picking you not because of what you are, but in spite of what you are. And everyone will know that it's not that you had potential. I'm going to give you potential because right now you are wicked and worthless to me. That's what the Bible says. That's what I, I, they're like, I got it. I could keep on going. I'm going to stop it right there. We got about 10 minutes to go. All, any questions, comments, thoughts, or anything about this topic? About this topic. Gary. You stopped one verse short there in Ephesians. Read it. And this, I've been told, is the biggest but in the Bible. Okay. Amen. Thank you for that. That is, that's Bible. Can't get any better than Bible, can we, brother? Amen. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Okay, if you're talking about churches in heaven, yeah. okay, now, uh, when you talk about churches like this or denominations, there's... No, no, let me, let me try to address your question here. Is this, people get saved one at a time. Churches don't get saved. King James. There are people in heaven if they've repented of their sin. Here's what it is. I don't care who it is. Anybody who admits to God that they're a sinner and admit it, that's repenting. And then they turn to Jesus Christ and ask Jesus to be their savior, to come into their lives and be their savior. That's why they're going to go to heaven. Doesn't matter the name of the church. Doesn't matter what translation of the Bible. No. no there's not actual churches. Now, you understand, when you put all the people who believe in Jesus Christ together, then they are the church. And all those people will go to heaven. But as to churches in heaven, not that I know about any pastor, I don't. I don't know any, you know, I guess it'd be the, you know, First Baptist Church of, at the corner of Glory and Glory or something. <laughs> but no, should not make light of that. Anybody, anybody else? Thank you, sir. Yes, sir, Pastor. So, Matthew 23, 37, 
There you go. Well, my thought on that is, again, I, w I want to do something, but you won't go along with it. They're, they are resisting. God recognizes that resistance, and, and, but he still demands of them. And see, what you're bringing up is that's where these two come together. Uh, does, here's the question. What pastor's bringing up. Does God demand of people what they will not do or what they cannot do? People say, well, that, no. God, God cannot demand of somebody something if they won't do that. No, he does. Remember? Because I always said, he didn't fail them in the garden. Adam and Eve disobeyed. They failed God. So God can still, God can, God can go to a group of people and say, I require you I command you to repent. And, and like I say, you don't have to agree with this, Pastor. You know, obviously, you don't have to agree with me. But I'm just trying to say, I see, no, I see no conflict in Scripture where God says, I command you to repent. I demand that of you. That is a fair request by God because that's what Adam and Eve didn't. God didn't fail them. But he knows that they will not do it. They know that they will not do it. Now, maybe that sounds, hang on just a minute here. Uh, I think you heard a couple of weeks ago when we were in, in Matthew chapter 13. And remember in Matthew chapter 13, he's, he's using that illustration of a sower went out to sow. He who has ears, let him hear what he has to say. But then they, they say to him, they say, well, I don't know. Why are you talking to them in parables? They, they're not getting it. They're not understanding. And Jesus says, you're right about that. I'm proving my point. It's, it's not that I'm a poor teacher or I don't know what I'm about. I'm pointing out the fact that in their sin they're dead. And it's not that they won't. They will not come to me. So all I can say to you, from a, if you want to call it Calvinist, I can understand that. But I'm saying, when he says to Jerusalem, I, I wanted to gather you up, as, but you would not do it. It just is speaking to the hardness of the human heart. And Now, of course, you're the pastor, so... Please feel free to, you know, I'm, I'm not the under-shepherd here, so you have full authority to say, I don't agree with what Brother Burkott is saying. That's fine. I okay. believe that there is somewhere in that, in the two meetings, there is, there is a definite link with me knowing. There's probably one that's the same way. I held out my hand and he refused. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, now, hear that? This is our pastor. I love this man. He and I have a little different, I was a former pastor, but he's the under-shepherd for this place. I, I'm not in that capacity. So I just want to say, I definitely want everybody to always hear from you, because you are the pastor. And the other thing is, too, is again, when we talk about these things I said before, he's wrong. I'm infallible. Earl can't be wrong. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Again, I said, talk to my wife. So... I love the pastor. He preaches. He is a man of God. And so what we share with this like thing, yes. So thank you for sharing that, that, that thing there is, is what you see. L last point out here. Somebody, anybody got a last comment, last thought out here? And then we will close. Going, going, gone. I want to thank everyone for uh, being here for this. And uh, just have, close in a word of prayer.
Brother Kim, would you close for us in prayer this morning, sir? We are dismissed. Church in about 16 minutes.